Welcome to the Essential HR Podcast, where today I sit down with consultant, keynote speaker, and corporate trainer David Shar from Illuminate PMC, where we discuss the topic of burnout and what HR departments can do to proactively protect the organizations and their employees. This program is not intended to constitute legal advice and is for general educational purposes only. If you do need legal advice, please contact your own attorney. Good afternoon and welcome to the Essential HR Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gorman, and I'm here today with David Shar. Uh, David's a consultant, keynote speaker, and corporate trainer with Illuminate PMC. And uh, welcome to the show, David. Great to have you on. Super excited about uh, our time together. Thanks so much, Brian. I'm I'm honored to be here. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Um, so I kind of wanted to get started maybe for those that don't know you, maybe share a little bit about your story, um, who you are, what you do, and a little bit about your background to get started. Sure. So <laughs> it's interesting. My, my story, not unlike other people in the HR sector, you know, I ask um, at the beginning of, or toward, actually it's not quite the beginning, but in some of my talks, when I'm, when I'm speaking with HR professionals, I ask the question, why did you get into HR? Because it's so important to get to your why. Mm. And I always see people, you know, I, I create this word cloud it automatically is created from the answers. And it's beautiful because it's people and purpose and helping and equity and all these beautiful things. And there's always a chunk of people right smack on the side, like pretty, pretty prominent, not the core, but pretty prominent by accident. So, so <laughs> that's, that's how a lot of people get into HR by accident. They just sort sure. of stumble into it. And so for me, I stumbled into it um, through ice cream, actually. Um, I had an um, ice cream franchise in Baltimore City, the heart of Baltimore City. Okay. And thought I was getting into the ice cream business. I love ice cream. And I learned a ton that I never knew about ice cream. But I quickly learned that owning your own business it's it's a little bit about the product or the service that you provide, but it's so much more than that. It's about the people. Mm -hmm. And my people happened to come from some of these neighborhoods that were literally and figuratively right out of that old HBO drama, The Wire. Oh, sure. um, yeah. So really, really um, dramatic uh, stories, people who came. And this was culture shock for me because I'm this white Jewish kid you know, upper middle class from the suburbs. And these were mostly um, uh, black and brown people from some of the roughest neighborhoods in the country. Sure. And uh, I was, it was culture shock for me. But what I found over time was that, was that these kids and young adults who had been sort of written off by society in general um, were finding meaning in scooping ice cream mm. and that was so impactful for me wow. and so through a series of events i found myself becoming more interested more and more interested in why these young adults from the inner city were finding meaning in scooping ice cream while my friends who were doctors and lawyers and nurses and teachers dreaded monday mornings they dreaded going mm. to work mm -hmm. and my sure. crew i couldn't 
I couldn't get them to stay away. Even when they weren't on the schedule, they would show up. And so wow. it's, it always starts with a Google search. And for me, because I just have that kind of personality where I don't give up, it just led to, you know, going back to school and getting my master's. And now, you know, years and years later, um, still researching what, what is it about meaningful work and burnout and, and all these different aspects of, of why some people are engaged in their work and some people aren't. And so now I'm uh, pursuing my doctorate in, uh, in business psychology um, while uh, helping HR professionals and, and other organizational leaders um, help their people find meaning in their jobs. Mm, that's fair. So that's fantastic. Um, fascinating story. And, you know, what, what, um, I guess a question coming out of that is, you know, what keeps an employee engaged in, you know, what, what factors do that? And then what factors maybe on the flip side of that lead to lead to people not being engaged in their work? What, what have you seen in your, in your, um, your travels? Yeah. So often we look at like engagement as being like the flip side of burnout. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but then we go ahead and we define burnout as overwork, you mm. know, and, um, being overloaded with tasks or, or having too much work on your plate. And that's certainly an element and it, and it plays into burnout, but I think that we overemphasize this and we don't dig deep enough to think, okay, why and what kind of overwork? I always like to use uh, the analogy of a bartender for those of us that remember what life was like when there were crowded bars. Right. But, <laughs> but a, sure. a bartender, you know, with a packed house um, and they're like using flair and flipping bottles and stuff like that, they can be incredibly busy, objectively busy, Right. Oftentimes that bartender does not look burned out. That bartender looks extremely engaged, but take that same bartender and every time they reach around them for reach behind them for a new glass, the glass isn't there or the cups are dirty. Now you're going to have a burned out bartender, right? So it's right. something deeper. It's not just a lot of work. It's, it's when we're trying to accomplish something. And typically when we're trying to find meaning in our work and, existential significance you know mm -hmm. in our work that's what gets people engaged when their work isn't just about the widget that they're that they're creating you know it's about it's about the impact that they are having on the world in some way and people then on the flip side burn out when they're faced with the bureaucracy and the interpersonal conflict and those dirty glasses that you know make their work harder and get in the way of them doing what they signed up to do. Sure. No, absolutely. And, and a question I had, David, too, was what have you seen um, maybe pre-pandemic, right? Was, was burnout more of an issue then as it is now? Maybe compare and contrast, you know, burnout from a, before the pandemic and now a year into it, right? We're, it's so, now it's almost been a year since we have all, most of us have started to work from home and, and um, yeah, what, what have you seen and what are the trends that you're noticing there? It's a really interesting question because burnout in general started and we really started the studying burnout and, and identifying burnout in the helping professions, right? Because these are people who clearly are getting into their work not for the paycheck. They're getting in for deeper reasons. They want to help people. So we're talking about things like 
nurses and social workers and, and teachers, right? These types of professions. And to this day, we see very high burnout in those types of professions. These are people that are trying to do something bigger with their career. Um, as work has sort of morphed into this thing where we're all trying to find meaning in our work now, now you find burnout everywhere, right? <laughs> sure. And so uh, with the pandemic, absolutely, in the more recent history, after 2020, you had people that were in these jobs attempting to do what they went to do. And in other words, attempting to fulfill the mission of the organization in conjunction with their personal mission, however they may define that, whether they consciously define it at all. Um, but, they're, but they have some ambition, right? And, and so they're trying to fulfill that. Then the pandemic comes out. And mm -hmm. one of the primary uh, you know, models for measuring burnout, um, which I think is, is very useful because just because of its simplicity, is the demand control support model, which basically states that when demand is up, control is down, the sense of control is down, and the sense of support is down, that's when we, that's when we burn out, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you look at that model, which is partially correct, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotes is from, is from Box, an old statistician who said, all models are wrong, some are useful. And that, <laughs> and that is always where the approach that I take, like, let's take the models and use them, right. but they're not gospel, right? Um, but so the demand control support model can be very useful in how we think about burnout. And when we look at what the pandemic, um, the social injustice, um, mm -hmm. racial injustice coming to us straight through our, through our TV or YouTube or whatever, yeah, sure. you know, all of these things that, that piled on in 2020, um, it, that's life changing and gets in the way of, of us doing business as usual. And so with all of these things, demand, demand has gone up. Suddenly we're trying to figure out how to do the same work, but do it while socially distanced, virtual, wearing a mask, being behind plexiglass, whatever it is. Um, control has gone down, the sense of control, because every time you turn on the news, I just saw this, this segment on one of, the, one of the late shows where they just started shooting clips of people saying all these experts you know, saying, yeah, we should be back to normal, you know, by the end of March. Yeah, we should be back to normal by the end of the summer. Yeah, by right. next year, by that, right? And so that that sense of control has, has really been diminished. And the sense of support, you know, um, I probably, maybe I shouldn't um, admit this at my age, but I still, when stuff gets really stressful, you know, I like to see my mom and get a hug, you sure. know, and I haven't been able to do that right. since the beginning right. of this pandemic. So it's certainly exacerbated burnout. And I think that when we come out of this and start re-entering whatever that new normal is, mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to be out of the weeds. I think things are going to be even more complicated because as we're at home, as we're, we're changing the rules here, we each as individuals and collectively as a society are changing our uh, paradigm. It's been like a paradigm shift of what we view as important and what we value in our lives. And uh, employers and HR professionals are going to have to get really smart about selling, again, 
their organization and their organizational mission as something worthwhile, much greater than just the paycheck every two weeks. Right. Fascinating. Um, and again, how do you know, David, in your experience, this might seem like a, um, a trivial question, but how do you know if you're burned out? I mean, what do you, I mean, obviously you, you're going to feel tired, right? Or something like to, the, to that effect. Right. But how do you know if it's not just that you're, if you're really seriously, I'm, I'm burned out here as opposed to maybe, Hey, I just had a, maybe I had a hard day, hard, couple, hard week. You know, what, what are your, what have you seen and what are, what are the trends and traits of, of, of serious, Hey, I'm, I'm burned out here. Yeah. It's a, that's a great question because burnout is one of those things that we um, very frequently, we use the word mm-hmm. without right. intention. Like we, we sort of just throw it around a lot. Um, but burnout in the most traditional sense, um, I, I guess clinical sense would be um, it's, it's work specific, but then reaches out to everything else. So it's not that it's not that work sits alone, everything sort of, um, you know, coexists and, and influences each other, but it is work specific when we talk about burnout. And burnout is um, this increased sense of emotional exhaustion, uh, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, it's emotional exhaustion, but it very quickly manifests in, into physical exhaustion and even uh, physical ailment, right? Psychosomatic symptoms, you can literally get sick um, when you're feeling really burned out. Um, and then there's this, um, there's this cynicism, increased sense of cynicism. Um, and in HR, oftentimes what this looks like is um, when we start separating ourselves from our employees, from those clients, from the managers, right? And we start seeing them just as employee number, whatever, instead of really getting into the cases and seeing these people as people. Um, we separate ourselves through the cynicism and it's self-protective. We're, we're trying to protect ourselves psychologically by doing that, putting up barriers uh, because we're so overwhelmed and feel like we're not accomplishing things as that's the third piece, which is this diminished sense of personal accomplishment. We feel like we're churning our wheels and not getting stuff done. And so, you know, throughout since last March, I've been asking, you know, audiences and, and, and groups that I've been speaking with and and training. And I've been asking them, raise your hand. If you have felt one of those three things and each of those things, 90% of the, of the hands go up because over the past year, people have been feeling emotionally exhausted, cynical, and um, th- having this this uh, reduced sense of personal accomplishment. Sure. And David, what about what what are HR departments? Uh, I guess what can they do to proactively um, address burnout? Um, and maybe part two of that question is what have you seen them do successfully? Maybe I share a story or two and and uh, what you've seen. You know, what are some companies are doing a great job at this? And HR departments, you know, maybe forward thinking and, and trying to get out ahead of it. And what have, what have you seen out there? Yeah, so there's there's a lot that you can do, and there's actually, and I I would love uh, to share with your audience. I can I can get you a link to um, my FTF burnout proof model that yeah. really talks you through selection because it starts there. If you're if you're hiring people and they're not the right fit, or you're hiring them and not giving them a realistic job preview. That'll lead to burnout right, right from the start. You're setting them up for failure. I remember my my sister 
um, had this opportunity at the Disney internship with a Disney, you know, their Disney yeah, college inter internship. Sure. And she was a Disney fanatic. So she goes down there expecting to be Disney World and working at Disney World is not the same thing as going to Disney World. So the first time <laughs> she sees Mickey with her head off smoking a cigarette, like it was crushing, you know. Um, so uh, pointing out, you know, the flaws in your organization, the challenges, as well as the opportunities and giving people that realistic job preview is probably the first thing you can do on the employee's life That's cycle throughout point. your organization. Yep. Um, but there, but there is so much that can be done, and so much of it has to do with being true to your mission and vision, and clear with your mission and vision, and going through your uh, employee handbook and going through your culture, because we have so many policies that are not written, but they're sort of baked into the culture, right? Okay. And okay, and really analyzing those things and removing the things that are just barriers. So much of what we do um, is, is just because it, it's, we benchmarked it from someone else or because it made sense a hundred years ago, right? right. Like was one of my greatest frustrations uh, before this was when I would walk in to my consulting clients and I would talk to them about um, about, uh, you know, work from home and telework and, and do what if we could do one day a week? And the answer would always be, no, no, we don't do that here. Well, but the reason we don't do that here, is there a bona fide reason or is the reason because there was never the technology, never the infrastructure to support that. So that's why we didn't do it here. But why are we not doing it here? Right. right? And then we're hit with the change that was coming anyway, but it came, it came in strong and fast, <laughs> right. you know, through COVID where now everybody's teleworking and had to figure it out on COVID's terms instead of their own. Right. Mm. Um, so removing those barriers is one of the key things that I help organizations do, you know, really thinking what is it that we do on a daily basis and why, and does this, lead to our end mission or not? And if the answer is no, then why are we doing it? And that doesn't right. mean we shouldn't mop the floors. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do the paperwork or the or some of those more tedious tasks. But if I understand as an employee, if I understand what that tedious task really is, that makes all the difference in the world. That's how you build a burnout-proof culture. Um, my very first job, I was cleaning up poop in a dog kennel. I wanted to be a, a veterinarian, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know there was like chemistry involved at the time. But <laughs> <laughs> but before I learned that, I wanted to be a veterinarian. So that means working a lot of dog kennels and yeah. literally picking up poop. And I remember one of my earliest memories from work was, was pooper scooping in this kennel. And there was this uh, young lady, my coworker, sort of right down the sort of hall from me um, doing the same thing. And I looked at her and it was immediately apparent to me that we were doing the same activity, but we weren't doing the same thing. Like in my mind, I was creating this, this cleaner environment. I was caring for these sick animals. Like it, it had everything to do with the animals. For her, it had everything to do with poop. And mm. that's a very different job. Sure, you know, sure. and so, 
So how do we realign um, how we look at the tasks that we do? And that starts with eliminating the tasks that we shouldn't be doing in the first place. Mm, absolutely. It's great stuff. I, um, I know we're a little bit short on time, but I wanted to get to some, some fun questions with you, David, sure. before we um, uh, wrapped up. But, you know, I, I think you talked about how, you know, why you got into HR um, at the beginning, but you know, what do you love most about, about HR and the HR profession? So I love the people. And when I say the people, I mean, because I, I work through that consulting angle. And so the peop, my people are the HR people, you know, and uh, what an amazing group. Um, when you're working with HR professionals, these are people who got in it for, like I said, for the right reason. They got in it mm. to because they they can't separate business from the people and so their mind is so much in the right place and hr has consistently pushed and pushed while while so many other factions of the organization were looking to to do other things and they just wanted to increase the bottom line and hr was there to drive home the message that it was about the people and and through tons of research and hard work we figured out no no this is exactly how you increase the bottom line right, right. hr has been on it all the time and i i just love that that's awesome that's great stuff. Um, now, David, what advice would you give someone uh, wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Oh, so don't do it. No, that's, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, so my career um, as a small business owner, right? So I have my own small right. consultancy, right? So much of what I do is the part that I'm like, these are the mundane tasks that it really helps to keep a, to keep an eye on the, uh, on the ball and what this is all about, right? So I wish that I could just be working directly with HR professionals and other leaders 100% of my day, you know, but a lot, and talking to people like you, Brian, but yeah. a lot of my day <laughs> right. is, you know, the sales process and proposal writing and things like that. And those things aren't fun, you know, right. but uh, so, so they're challenging, but, but the, but the, the bottom line is that you need to keep your eye on the ball and um, understand that when you're in business for yourself, there's a lot of that stuff that you just will have to do. Um, and that it's going to be a roller coaster. There's ups and downs and ebbs and flows of the business and, um, and such. But when you're passionate about what you do, Right. that's okay. You know, that then you can write it all out. It's great. That's awesome. Um, and then what is one common myth about the HR field that you want to uh, debunk, I guess? Um, HR isn't about party planning. You uh, know, um, I think. <laughs> a, I, sure. Right. That's a I good think one. That that's, that that's where it started out, you know, like we're the party planners. And then, and then it went to, us being the unlicensed lawyers, you mm. know, and that our entire job is to make sure the business doesn't get sued. And this is still a very common understanding of HR. Um, and when your employees view it that way, good luck having them come to you about anything, right? Right. Um, and so, but HR has 
shifted so dramatically. And there's so many amazing people in HR that are just doing amazing things where now we understand that, yes, compliance is a piece of what we do, right? Right. But um, this idea of like what culture is all about and that that the success of the organization begins with the people, begins with selection and it continues with training and development and performance management and conflict resolution and all of these different things. Um, and the fact that that so much is falling in the seat of HR is, is awesome. Mm, that's great. And then the final question, what is the biggest lesson you are taking from, I guess, the events of last year from 2020 and uh, bringing that into the, we're here in late February, but bringing into the new year, what, what's the biggest lesson you're, you're, you're going to take um, into this new year? I think, I think we have to be resilient. We mm. have to be flexible. And that if you are focused on your mission and your vision, then it's not about how you're doing the tasks, right? Like, like I was saying, it wasn't about picking up poop, right? It's not about how you're doing the tasks or the specific tasks that you're, that you're doing. It's you can ride through any change as long as your mission and vision is super clear. There's a, um, a colleague of mine who at the beginning of COVID, um, he's a he's a colleague in, in the sense that he's another speaker, right? Keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's always been able to go and speak about anything, right? So by definition, he's a speaker, but he doesn't have that that specific mission. What is he trying to do with this? What is his angle? Like, what is he trying to change? Like, right. what's he trying to impact? And so when COVID hit and COVID got, got difficult, he exited the speaking business rather, rather quickly. Mm. Right. But for me, if I'm speaking or training or consulting or doing virtual webinars or whatever, just getting on the phone with people, whatever, I know that my mission is about changing the way we view work, right? And making work a more positive experience and profitable experience for everybody through collaborative change, right? And so sure. I know that that's what I'm about. And so, um, I, you know, it wasn't hard for me or as hard for me to pivot uh, into how I did that. Mm. Mm, that's great. And then how, how does someone in the audience stay get to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you and your business? Yeah, so I've got a website, uh, www.illuminatepmc.com. Um, I'll give you the, the link for the um, FTF burnout proof culture model as well. Uh, but really the best way to get in touch with me to just sort of uh, continue the conversation because I always love hearing feedback and hearing people's perspectives. Sure. And, and things like that is the same way that you and I connected, Brian, through LinkedIn. Right. Um, and that's easy to find me, linkedin.com slash IN slash David Sharp. Pretty simple. Awesome. Perfect. David, thank you so much. I greatly enjoyed uh, our conversation. Appreciate your time and look forward to catching up soon. Again, thank appreciate you, it very Brian. much. It was a thank pleasure. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Essential HR Podcast. Please join us next time where we sit down with another HR professional and discuss the topic of leadership.